Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. After they get across the Jordan, remember that slide I showed you, the Jordan River kind of cuts the thing right in half. So once they get across the Jordan, they got about another six and a half, seven miles yet to go to Gilgal, where they're going to ultimately camp for the first night on that side of the Jordan. And guess what? The water behind them is roaring again. They've crossed the Rubicon. There's no going back, is there? They've put themselves in this place, impossible in a sense. They're either going to trust God that he's going to be faithful for what he said he's going to do, or they're going to risk their lives in panic and try and swim across the water and be found downstream. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob continues in chapter 3 and 4 of the book of Joshua. As our study begins today, the Israelites are in the process of crossing over the Jordan and into the Promised Land. What was life going to be like there? Is it one glorious vacation time after another? No. For Israel, it was a place of battle. But most of all, it was a place of trust. They knew they had to trust God with everything they had because the challenges only got bigger in the promised land. But so did the blessings. And now, let's open our Bibles to Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 14, and follow along with Pastor Rob. And at that time, I was working on one of the most incredible platforms that Xerox had at the time. And the Lord called me out of it. And, and I enjoyed what I did. It, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. But when he spoke to me, this was a watershed moment for me, just like it is for Israel here. This is the moment when the decision is going to make a difference, make a change in your whole life. And I remember going into that office, and as soon as I started opening my mouth, I knew the bridge was burned. It was the, I was crossing the Rubicon, in a sense, and there was no going back. And I remember on the way home, I actually pulled off alongside the road and I wept like a baby. Because I realized what had just happened. <laughs> I realized that I had burned my bridge. I mean, I was still kind with them, and, and, and actually I still continued to work for them for about another month to transition my responsibilities and train other folks and take my position. But I knew at that moment that that was it. At that point, they wouldn't want me anymore anyway. So verse 11, he says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. Notice that. It's not just the Jews' God. It's the God of all creation. This is not just the Jewish God. He's the Lord of all the earth. He's the Lord of all the earth. And this phrase, Lord of all the earth, you're going to see it down in verse 13 of this same chapter, just a couple of verses away. But it reminded me of Psalm 24 where it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. Everything belongs to him. 
So it's not just the Jews' God, it's, it's the God of all the earth, the God of all creation, the God of all the universe. He spoke it all into existence. He holds it all in the span of his hand. How great is this God? Give me a break. Amazing. Amazing stuff. Now therefore, verse 12, take for yourselves twelve men from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests, the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, of all the earth, by the way, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Psalm 78, uh, the psalm of Asaph, actually, and it says in verse 12, Marvelous things God did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and he caused them to pass through and he made the water stand up like a heap. And certainly he was speaking of the Red Sea, but now as they stand before this mighty Jordan River, it's just raging at this time of year. In verse 14, so it was. When the people set out from their camps to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water. And he puts some parentheses here, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. This is not some localized, you know, short, and you know, there's like a, a dry spot, and it's just kind of trickling water. There, there's no way. At this time of year, in the, in the month of Nizan, or an Aviv, as they would also call it, this month is the month of harvest. This is the rainy season. This place is flowing with water. In fact, if you look up on the screen here, this neat little graphic is kind of interesting uh, because up here is Mount Hermon, and this is a 9,000 feet um, mountain, 9,000 feet above sea level, actually. And the Dead Sea down here is about 1,400 feet below sea level. So you think from the waters melting on Hermon, going all the way down to the Sea of Galilee, going all the way down into the Jordan here, and it's going from a height of 9,000 feet above sea level to all the way down to the Dead Sea, 1,400 feet below sea level, that water is cruising. It is cruising at harvest season, in the rainy season. This water is barreling down. Verse 15, and as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests dipped in, and we saw that, verse 16, excuse me, that the waters which came down from the upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, and the city that is beside Zeratan, and so the waters that went down into the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jordan. And if we look at this slide up here on the screen right now, we can see that this right here is where they were crossing, right over in this area down in here. But 15 miles upstream, there is a little town or a little place called Adam. And this is where the waters began to be stopped. And some of, there's been, uh, actually I'll get to that later because uh, I don't want to spoil our chapter 4. But this is where it was all dammed up right up here in Adam. It's kind of a plan word, isn't it? There's a, there's a dam. Adam. There's a dam up there. Um, I'm glad you laughed because that means you're awake. So praise the Lord for that. But notice that it wasn't until they stepped in that the waters were abated. They had to take the, the, the step because can you imagine carrying an ark? Let me tell you something. That ark was heavy, and as they're walking across and they're, and they're looking at the waters raging by, they're thinking, we're going to die. 
If we're going to carry this thing across, that means we've got to go down into it. It's going to come way over us, and we're going to be like guys underwater, you know, and we're going to be cruising across. There's no way we're going to make it. We're going to drown within minutes. And the ark is going to be lost, and everything in it. The tablets going downstream. But the Lord is a lot like that sometimes with us, isn't he? He he tells you to do something, and you're standing before something, and it's not until we take that first step that he actually begins to move, and sometimes he waits for us to make that first move. And from the all-out appearances of things, we're thinking, this is a suicide. This is suicide. Lord, I'd much rather have died in the wilderness. Why are you bringing me now here so that I can drown? You can hear it in their head. And yet, God told them what he was going to do, and they just had to be obedient. So they, they're like, here we go, brothers. <laughs> they start to put their foot in, and immediately the water start to go down and go down and go down, and then the whole thing dries up. And they're walking across firmly for miles that way and miles that way, or at least miles to the, to the right of them. It's drying up. The waters just stop. And you, you, you ever seen that? When the tide goes out really quickly before a, or before a hurricane and the tide is just being drawn out or right before a tsunami, all the water just starts to recede. And that's kind of like what happened. And they walk across. Kind of reminds me of Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. They had to take that first little baby step. You know, the Lord may cause you to do that. He's not going to give you the whole picture, perhaps. He's just going to say... Take one step in front, of, in front of another. Just do that one thing, and I'll show you the next thing. And then I'll show you the next thing. But it's obedience on our part, right? Because we can't figure this out. I couldn't, have fig- I couldn't have figured all this out. I didn't know what he was doing in my own life. And maybe you don't know what he's doing in your life yet, but you take one foot in front of the other, and you find that he is with you, and you just be obedient to do the right thing. And when he shows you to do something, do it. Take a step of faith. And see what he does. You know, this very similar thing happened to Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. Remember, it's recorded for us in 2 Kings chapter 2. Where Elijah is getting ready to go home to be with the Lord. The Lord's going to just take him up in a whirlwind, right? And there is his young protege, Elisha, is there with him. And they're crossing the Jordan. And it's, it's, it's pretty heavy going down there too, the water. And Elijah takes his mantle and he slaps the water. And, and God just creates another miracle. And they walk across, and then the waters come back to their full capacity. And then Elijah is taken up, and Elisha takes the mantle, has to go across the, other, the Jordan again. He slaps the water again, the same thing happens. I'm sure it was just a coincidence, though. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the miraculous you know, God who can command something from nothing. Is it easy for him to take something that we can all see and do something with it that, physics, that defies physics? He's very able to do that on dry ground. The Hebrew word is haraba. It literally means desert. They crossed over on dry ground, on firm ground. The priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed over completely. So let's get into verse 14, or chapter 4, I'm sorry. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourself twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, 
from the place where the priest's foot feet stood firm, and you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Notice that. Sometimes reading the Bible, if you just read it for what it's worth and, and really pay attention to the words, you're like, oh, good grief. You mean, after they get across the Jordan, remember that slide I showed you, the Jordan River kind of cuts the thing right in half. So once they get across the Jordan, they've got about another six and a half, seven miles yet to go to Gilgal, where they're going to ultimately camp for the first night on that side of the Jordan. And guess what? The water behind them is roaring again. They've crossed the Rubicon. There's no going back, is there? They've put themselves in this place, impossible in a sense. They're either going to trust God to be faithful for what he said he's going to do, or they're going to risk their lives in panic and try and swim across the water and be found downstream with a lungs full of water. But did God bring them into the land to kill them? No, he wanted to bless them. He told them that, right? So take for yourselves every, every man of uh, the 12 tribes. And, and so, verse 4, Then Joshua called the 12 men from whom he had appointed, from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Remember the priests. Think about this job, guys. They're there, the priests are holding the ark, and they're standing in the middle of the thing. There's probably four of them, one on each side of the thing, and they're holding the staff there, and they're just waiting for hours. Have you ever stood at a wedding? Have you been a groomsman or a maiden, a maiden of honor, and you're standing there, and the priest and the pastor, he just keeps talking and talking and talking, which I never do. But he sits there and he's talking, and pretty soon, and I've seen this myself, if you lock your knees, you're toast especially if you've been drinking the night before, like some unsaved people do. Oh, they don't do that, do they? But anyway, and, and they lock their, they lock their the thing standing at attention, and I've seen them just fall face flat. I mean, they don't even put their hands out in front of them. They're just they're standing there, and all of a sudden, you just, boom. Lights are out. It's like the little, <laughs> they fall down. I've seen it twice, actually. It's kind of disturbing. But here they are, standing in the ark. Can you imagine? I mean, they're just like, they're probably talking to each other. Man, bend your knees, bend your knees, bend your knees. Ah, just shake it off, man, just shake it off. Because after hours, they're just like, oh, good grief, Lord, help. You know, can we get some, you know, some other guys to help us? And maybe they were there. Maybe there were guys who were uh, priests that were right there, and we don't know. Maybe they were there to relieve the load. Maybe they did it in hour shifts. We don't really know. But there they are, waiting waiting for them to go across and probably wondering in their mind, I wonder when this thing's going to bust loose. Here we are in the water. We took the step of faith where nothing's coming. I'm looking upstream. I'm just keeping an eye on that stream up there because if I see, start seeing a wall of water coming, I'm tucking tail and I'm hitting the road. <laughs> I can see him just manhandling the ark and running across the water, you know, out of fear and panic. But they don't because God is faithful But notice what it says in verse 5, And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the the children of Israel. So they're taking a stone on their shoulder. So are these little rocks like this? No, they're not rocks like this, because otherwise they'd just be able to carry them. No, these are rocks, probably about this size. And they're lifting those things up, and they're putting them on their shoulders, and they're walking across and going over. They're going over. 
that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in due time, verse 6, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Because they're supposed to bring them over and to the place that they're going to lodge that night in Gilgal. And, you know, we, we see this same kind of thing. You know, when the children ask in time to come, they're naturally curious children, and so when there's a sign that the children of Israel have put up, some kind of sign, they want to know, what does this sign mean? It's very natural. It's, it's a great way to share the truth with somebody you love. You have a sign. You have some kind of stones of remembrance, some kind of article that reminds you of something in the past, of, of God's faithfulness. Do you have something like that? Something that reminds you of how God was faithful to you in the past? Something in your shelf? Some article that reminded you of back when you were just starting out and you didn't have any money. And you were wondering, how am I going to survive? How am I going to take care of myself? And then then to see God come through and you, you hang on to that thing as a memento. I remember how scared I was at this time. But I got on my knees and I prayed and I asked, I begged God to help me. And he gave me the job. He gave me the wife. <laughs> gave me the husband. He did that in Exodus chapter 12 in the Passover. I'd encourage you to read Exodus 12, verses 24 through 27, because the same thing happened there. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service, by this this, this Passover killing of the lamb and all that stuff? And and, and, and they, that would be a way for them to tell their kids what that was all about and to instruct them. But the danger is, is all these things, you know, you can look also in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 17 through 22, but it, it talks about the statutes and the laws. And, and, and the kids would ask, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? And this is a great time for people to tell people, you know, great parents for parents to talk to their kids. And see, when we're faithful to do that, all is well. The next generation gets built up. But notice what happens in Judges chapter 2. And I've said this before, and I'm not ashamed to say it again, because we live in a country, in a time in history, in our country, where this is so true. And I hope it shakes you a little bit, because... It happened to the children of Israel. They had, God had given them these things to, to remind them and for them to tell their children, why, what, what's the deal with these 12 stones, Dad? Well, this is God's miracle of what he, what he did when he brought us over, and they can rehash the whole history of it, of God's faithfulness, right, and encourage their young folks to have courage in God too. But what happens, what happened actually in the lives of the children of Israel? Well, we read it in Judges chapter 2. It says, when all that generation, Joshua and the elders that outlived him, when they had all died, it says in verse 10 in Judges chapter 2, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. And why? Because the parents didn't share with the kids. They, didn't, they weren't faithful in sharing with them the truth. See, that's why the, 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 the wonderful privilege that we have as parents is to share this with our kids. Share it with them. Read it to them, even if they don't like it. <laughs> you know, we're all human. You know, it's so easy to read when your child is really interested in the book that you're reading. Oh, can you read that to me again? And they hurt, they're quick to run up into your lap, or they're, they're fine with laying on the couch and listening to you speak. You know, you read to them again the same book that you've read to them. But when you read the Bible, all of a sudden there's some resistance. When you read the Bible, there's some 
hesitancy. There's a battle going on for the heart and the mind of that child. And there's a battle in your own heart because you're thinking, why, why do I even bother? They don't even, they're not even listening. I'm reading the words, but I'm looking at their eyes, and they're just checked out. But parent, don't you give up. You continue to pray, and you just keep going through the motions of doing the right thing. Read the word to your kids. Pray with them. It doesn't have to be much every day. You could do all this in a half hour if you could. Every single day with your kids. At some point during the day, read to them. Start in a book of the Bible and read through the whole thing together as a family. 15, 20 minutes and then pray for 10 minutes and you're done. If we would just at least start there, start there, you'll find that as the more you do it, your kids are going to be like, you know what, I miss that. And as they get older, they're going to reflect on that time as being one of the best times in the family has ever had. They will. I've heard of it. There's a bond. There's a wonderful unity. And God is so in it. He's so in it. So take that step and do it. And do it. Verse 7, Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off from before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel also, verse 8, did so, just as Joshua commanded. And they took up the twelve stones, notice, from the midst of the Jordan, while the priests are still standing there with their ankles probably dying, uh, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to, all the, uh, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and they carried them over with them to the place they lodged, the place they lodged, and they laid them down there. Now, what is the place they, where they lodged? We'll look up on the screen. You can see it right over here in Gilgal, right here, just uh, uh, northeast of Jericho. And this next picture is just kind of a zoomed-in uh, version of that. And you can see where they, so right just to the north and right to the east, of Jericho that they were going to be conquering very soon in just a day or two, that's where they would be. They're going to camp there. And you can imagine Jericho seeing this huge mass of people. And they're already scared. And now here they come. And now they're just to the southeast of us. And they're thinking, man, we're going to get it. And the psychological warfare that must have been going on in those people's minds. Because they, they waited there. They, they got circumcised. We're going to see that. They waited until they were healed. And and then, and then after that, they got into the campaign. But there were a couple of days. They're wondering. They're wondering. So verse 9. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So there they are. And so the priests, verse 10, who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the children or to the people. And according to all that Moses, notice, had commanded them, and the people hurried and crossed over. I would imagine so. I mean, wouldn't you hurry? You're just looking. I mean, every, you know what's happening, too. As they're crossing the stream, as they're crossing the Jordan, where are they, where are they looking? Are they looking straight forward? Probably not. They're probably stumbling over each other. because Maybe that's why it took so long, because they're looking. They're looking up there and just checking out, man, because this is unusual. <laughs> Very unusual. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priest crossed over in the presence of the people. And verse 12, And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, remember, those are the ones who are content settling there on the east side of the Jordan, they crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoke to them. And that was the agreement that they had made with those tribes. If you're going to stay on this side, guys, 
the men of war are going to have to go over first in front, and they're going to lead after the priests, and the, and the ark is way up there about a quarter or you know, more than a half a mile ahead of us. You're going to go up ahead of us, and then the, the rest of the... I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.